Good morning, church. I love, love, love Ben and Karen's story. If you don't know Ben and Karen, I hope you'll get a chance to meet them. You just never know. Uh, For them, for Ben, it all started with an invitation. So you just never know what hangs in the balance uh, with an invitation. Can can we just say, it's been a while, can we say this again together this morning? It'll be on the screen behind me, but can we say these words together, what we believe? That we are the body of Christ, called to live different, to invite people to come together, invest in each other, and engage in what matters most because of Jesus. That's who we are, and that's, honestly, that's just who we want to be. If it's your first time here this morning, I want you to know we are so glad you're here, but you have walked into a room filled with imperfect people. In fact, a lot of days we're a hot mess, right? But we are so glad you're here, and we are striving to be the kind of people that because of what Jesus has done in our hearts and our lives, how he has literally changed everything, we're just trying to live different in light of who he is and how he has changed us, and, and we would love for you to join us on that journey. Um, it's a really great time to invite someone. Uh, today is the last Sunday in our series on the five love languages, but next week we begin a new series. Uh, we're calling it Just Ask. Um, if you've ever struggled with prayer, if you're struggling with prayer right now, if you're wondering how to pray, what to pray, if you have questions for God that you feel like are going unanswered, I would love to invite you to come next Sunday, and I'd love for you to invite someone to come with you next Sunday to learn more about prayer. We're going to talk about prayer uh, from the Psalms. And I think it'll be a great time over the next few weeks. This will be the first of two series we'll do this summer. And in this series, we're just going to go to the heart of the Psalms and and maybe learn a little bit more about what it means to pray and how to pray and what happens when we pray and the questions that come up in those moments. And so if if you're like me and uh, you have struggled or are struggling in prayer, I'd love to to encourage you to come back next week and and to, to be a part of this next series called Just Ask. Today is our last Sunday in the series of the Five Love Languages. I hope by now uh, you've taken your profile. The link is on the screen behind me. Again, if you need that this morning, you can do it while I'm talking. I give you permission to go online on your phone or device and take the, take the short quiz and figure out what your love language is. I hope you've discovered that, and I hope, I hope you've shared that. Uh, you, you're missing the point if you haven't. I hope you've shared what your love language is. Don't keep it a secret. With your family, with your friends, with your home group, uh, with, with those that sit next to you uh, here at church, let them know what your love language is. You've probably figured out that we all speak, a lot of us speak different love languages, and that's, that's okay. That's the way it's supposed to be. God gifted us and created us all in different ways, and that's the beauty of it. That's one of the things about being the body of Christ is that when we all come together, because we all speak different love languages, we speak the universal language of love. And it's a beautiful expression. The body of Christ is a beautiful expression of the complete love of God. And I love that. But all of this is geared towards us learning how to love each other better. Jesus, this mattered so much to Jesus. He said one of the two most important things is that you love each other, that you love your neighbor. And so the whole series, the the reason we're looking at the five love languages is simply to help us know how to love each other better. So, can I be your pastor just for a moment and ask you? Can I just sit across the table for you just for a moment and ask you, how are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing at loving your brothers and sisters in this church? Are you loving them well? Do you have any problems, any tensions? I love this quote by James Houston. I think he sums it up really nicely and really well. He said this, Our relationship with God can never be right when our relationship with other people is wrong. 
And I would offer the possibility this morning that if for any reason you feel distance right now between you and God, if, any, if for any reason you feel like God is far away or he is not near or he is absent or you're like, like you're praying and those prayers are just hitting the ceiling and they're not going any further, I'm not saying this is true, but I'm saying it's possible that the reason for that may be because there's distance between you and another person. And as long as there's a problem between you and someone else, there exists the possibility at least that there's going to be distance between you and God. That's why it's so critical for us to learn to love each other well. That's why Jesus once said that if there's a problem between you and someone else, get that fixed before you come to worship. If you're at worship and you realize something's wrong, go, leave worship, go fix that, then come back and worship because as long as there's something between me and you, there, there can't be this relationship between me and God, at least not the way that God wants it to be. And I think it's so huge for us. So we've been talking about the last few weeks, these five love languages. And somebody asked me like, well, I got a problem because... Like, I speak words of affirmation. My husband, you know, he speaks, you know, quality time. So this explains why I haven't got along all these years, you know. <laughs> what do we do? Well, you're missing the point if you say, think that. Because the point is, now that you know that, you know how to love your spouse better. You know how to love parents. You know how to love your kids better. Friends, you know how to love each other better. When you learn each other's love language, this gives you the ability, the insight, you know, sort of the secret sauce to know, okay, now I know what communicates love, what communicates value to them. Some of us, for far too long, I've done this. We try to love people the way that we want to be loved. That's nice. That's good intentions. But the point is to love people the way they want to be loved, to love them the way they were gifted and called and designed and created to be loved. And that's the whole point of this whole deal, is for us to learn how to love each other better. Today we're going to talk about, talk about the last one in this series, the last way, uh, the last language of love, and it's the language of touch. Do we have anyone in the room? I know we have a few of you that speak the love language of touch. Don't be shy. There you go. Yeah. Hug these people. Give them a high five after service this morning. It's going to be fantastic. We, we may should sing, oh, give a five, give a five next to you. Do we have that on the slides, DJ? <gasps> Might be awkward. We won't do that. <gasps> yeah, th- this is the love language that communicates love through physical touch. And, and, and you know this, that this is, one of the, this is one of the most basic and fundamental ways that we can quickly communicate to someone else love and value, and worth, and all of those good things. Uh, it, it, you've probably heard this. The research was done a number of years ago that, that they went to orphanage where, where, where you know, babies were, and they, they figured out that babies that weren't held, even if they were given proper nutrition, if they were just kept in the cradle and not given the gift of physical touch, that they would, in some cases, stop growing, and in some instances, even die. You cannot live without physical touch. It is that important to who we are. Research has been done, and they, researchers say that just by holding hands with someone, it will lower your stress. So next time you're in the argument with, with someone, just grab their hand and watch the stress levels, you know, fall. Holding hands has been proven to reduce stress. They even say, that one research project that I read this past week said, and this is amazing, that teams, sports teams, baseball teams, whatever teams, that high five and fist bump and, and all this stuff, you know, that, that they perform better and that typically they are at the top of their league. Conversely, teams that don't are often mediocre and don't win and... <laughs> I'm not... I don't, I don't pick the slides. <laughs> 
It's true across all sports, basketball teams, every, every, everything you can imagine. Just think about it. It's not uncommon to see football teams walk out on the field with arms locked or holding hands. These big, grown, humongous men, right? Why? Physical touch is proven to improve our lives and our performance. It's just true about human nature. You know this. Uh, we all experience this. Even if, For some of you, this is your primary love language. For some of you, it's not, but we all experience this. It's why in times of crisis, there's nothing that means more than a hug, an embrace from a friend. Physical touch has power, power to communicate love to other people. Now, I want you to hear me today because I, I want to just, just hit this for a second. Today, we're talking about meaningful, appropriate touch. We're not talking about inappropriate touch or harmful touch. Abuse is always wrong. And I know in a room this size, there, there are people in this room that have been affected in a negative way by harmful or abusive touch. And I just want to say I'm sorry. I'm really sorry for that. I, I'm truly convinced and convicted that we were given by God the ability to touch, to give love, encouragement, hope, and healing. You know, like all of God's gifts, all of his gifts are good, but people can take those and twist those and make them to do harm. Words of affirmation. Words are meant to give life. But all of us know how hurtful words can be. If you speak the love language of quality time or receiving gifts or acts of service, you know how much those things mean to you. But when those are neglected, it's harmful and it hurts. And if, if you've ever been hurt by touch, I just want you to know Jesus never used his hands to hurt anyone. But, but Jesus was hurt. Jesus was hurt. And I don't want to minimize your pain or your experience in any, any way. But I want you to know that you can look at the cross and you can know that Jesus knows and Jesus cares for you. So if that's you today, that's, I just want to say that. I want to say that Jesus knows and Jesus cares. And you are loved. You are loved. Touch was always meant, I, I truly believe, for us to be able to communicate love in a tangible, physical way. To communicate the love of God in a tangible, physical way. Now, every week I've invited someone on stage to help me who speaks this love language to help us as a church understand that. So I want to invite one of our shepherds, uh, Mike Odell, to join me on stage this morning. Mike, Mike is in the house. Mike speaks the language of physical touch. And if you know Mike or if you've ever been around Mike, if you see Mike here at church, you know he's quick to shake your hand, quick to give you a hug. And now we know why. Um, this is his love language. And it's, a, it's an amazing thing. And Mike, whoops, I need that in a minute. Uh, you know, we all are blessed by the way you do that. So before we start, let me just give you a shot. Yeah. <laughs> that works. Um, Mike, since you're a shepherd, I thought it might be really uh, neat to start by just kind of, because this was blowing my mind this week, to, to think through all the ways that touch is used throughout the Bible in some pretty powerful, significant ways. So you want to kind of, I mean, we can talk about it, but you want to kind of share some of the ones that are meaningful to you? Um, well, obviously the first one that comes to my mind would be in the chapter of James, uh, chapter 5 of James, yeah. where, you know, he says, if anyone is sick, uh, get with the elders. Get with the elders. Have them pray over you and anoint you with oil. Yeah. And... 
you know, we've read that all of our lives, but, you know, I don't know about your experiences at other churches, but my first experience with the, uh, the actual anointing of oil was about two years ago when Don Barnes asked us as the elders, him being a former elder, asked us to meet and anoint him with oil. And I learned it, it can't, it, you can't measure the amount of learning <clears throat> to be present and watch someone like George Hurd um, anoint Don Barnes with oil and speak to Don Barnes' uh, blessings and watch George take that oil and massage Don Barnes' eyebrows. Mm-hmm. Or watch uh, Bob Monroe uh, anoint uh, Don Barnes' head with oil, and just you could just see the wave of anxiety leave him as they prayed. And, you know, and, and George made it clear, uh, and this is one of the things I learned about anointing. George, George made it perfectly clear. There's there's nothing in the power is not in the oil, uh, not necessarily even in the touch. The power's in the prayer. But that touch, you can just see Don just relax, and you can just see the the spirit in that. You you could feel the spirit in that room. Yeah. And and a lot of our church may not know this, but as a leadership team, as elders and staff, we meet about every other week, and often we'll have people come in to pray, and we'll gather around them. You guys will lay hands on them. If if there is sickness in the room, you're quick. If, If there's a desire there to anoint them with oil and pray over them. And there's... There's not, I'm not sure there's been a time that I've been here and we've done that, that I have not opened my eyes after the prayer and not, you know, had tears. Because uh, it's such a beautiful moment, a, be- a tangible way that you all love this church and pray for people. Right, and, and we do that. We, yeah. we meet with, um, every other week. We try to meet every other week, and, and more often than not, we do. And the very first thing that we do is we pray for members, and that can be uh, a prayer of thanksgiving. It can be a prayer of blessing. Uh, lots of th- lots of reasons to pray. Uh, that is the very first thing that we do, and the very f- the very last thing that we do before we leave. Again, we pray for for this church for you, and we're just not saying generic church. We call you by name. Yeah. So. Throughout Scripture, touch is used in, in, in so many ways. You, you saw them on the screen behind me through blessing of children, through uh, you know, uh, giving and receiving of the Holy Spirit, receiving spiritual gifts, through you know, sending missionaries and commissioning people to go with the message of Jesus, to ordaining leaders. You know, so many different ways people, you know, through the power of touch, experience the, the blessing and the favor uh, of God. And it's, it's amazing to me to think about that, that we as the church now still have that same ability to share in that power. But I know for you, there's a story, you, share, you sent a picture earlier of a moment when this crystallized for you, when touch and love came together in a powerful way, and I'd love for you to share that story. Yeah, and uh, DJ, I, maybe it was providential that you sang that song this morning, uh, You Make Everything New, because it was 31 years ago today. To this very day, 31 years ago, I felt like I was made brand new. And to kind of tee up the story, I was filled with anxiety. You have no idea how much anxiety I had about having children. I mean, we were, 
we were pregnant with our first and the time had come and we're going to the hospital and I'm just, I'm a mess about what's about to happen. Mm. You know, the stakes are high. And so we go in and even after he is born, I am, and, and he's there, <laughs> I am still filled with an immense amount of anxiety. She takes Landon over to the, uh, whatever you call it, to clean him up. And, and then, okay. And then she inks his foot and puts it on the birth certificate. And then she grabs my right hand and takes his foot and just rolls it across the top of my right hand. And there was his footprint. And as soon as his skin touched mine, it was immediate. It was sudden. It was instantaneous relief. I don't know how, I don't know how to describe it other than that, than to say I was made brand new right then at that second. Wow. That's awesome. It it is amazing to me how touch is such a powerful way to, to experience, to receive. You know, whenever there's a crisis, what are we looking for? Someone to come and take us by the hand. Yeah. And so anything else you want to offer on this before we, man, Mike, thank you so much. If you see Mike later today, make sure to give this guy a hug. <laughs> Thanks, man. Uh, we've said it already, but what's amazing as you read, and I would encourage you to do this, as you read to the story of Jesus, to see how often he touched, to see how often he reached out to people. I want to look at just one quick story. If you have uh, your Bible or device, if you want to turn that on, open that up to Luke 5. I want you to hear what happened in this particular moment. It happened so many times, but I want to look at this one example. Because, uh, you know, Jesus had the power. In fact, he did this too, where he could just think it, or he could just speak a command, and it would happen. But so often, Jesus wouldn't do that. He would touch someone. So that they could not only experience healing or grace or forgiveness, but that they could feel his touch. So in Luke 5, verse 12, we have this story about Jesus. And Luke tells us that in one of the villages, and this is, that's an important note, by the way, in one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you are willing, can you heal me and make me clean? This this right here is an amazing moment in the ministry of Jesus for a lot of reasons. But first of all, because this man with leprosy, advanced leprosy, he should have been outside the town. Like if you had leprosy, the rule was the law said that because of your condition, because of your illness, your disease, your sickness, you had to be on the outside of town. And if anyone came with an earshot, you had to cry out, unclean, unclean so that everyone knew to stay far, far away from you. Because if you who were clean touched him who was unclean, then you would be made unclean. And so to protect people from that, they had to live outside the camp. They had to cover themselves. And and, and when anyone came near, scream those words. So for this man to have somehow come into town, can you imagine? Can you imagine that day as he heard Jesus was in town? Him covering himself with some sort of robe, walking in hoping no one would notice coming right up to Jesus, not shouting the words, unclean, unclean. 
And as people gathered around and they realized what was happening, it had to be a scene of just shock and awe. What is he doing here? And why is he talking to Jesus? And why is Jesus giving him an audience? Because Jesus, he wasn't just some random guy. He was, he was already known as a teacher, as a rabbi. And it was said, it was said that a rabbi wouldn't even walk down the same street as, as, as maybe a leper had bought eggs on that day. He wouldn't even go down the same direction. He wouldn't want to be anywhere near someone who had leprosy, who was unclean. And yet Jesus pauses and gives this man an audience. And I don't, I don't know, some of you may know who are smarter than me, I don't think there was any penalty for this man being present. But don't you know he had to be terrified? He had to be completely terrified to come into this moment, to walk into town, to approach a rabbi taking what was left of his life. Probably afraid he would lose it for this one act. But he comes to Jesus and begs him, if you are willing, can you heal me and make me clean? Verse 13. Maybe the most powerful words in all of Scripture. Jesus reached out. And touched him. Jesus reaches out. He could have given the command. He could have thought it. He could have spoken the word. But he reaches out and Jesus touches the untouchable. Jesus, the one who is perfectly clean, touches the one who was completely unclean. I am willing, he said, be healed. That word healed literally means be cleansed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus instructed him not to tell anyone what had happened. He said, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been, what's the word? Cleansed. In their book, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, Paul Brand and Philip Yancey said this. I love this. Jesus' primary purpose was not to heal disease, but was rather a ministry to individual people, some of whom happened to have a disease. He wanted those people one by one to feel his love and warmth and his full identification with them. Jesus knew he could not readily demonstrate love to a crowd, for, for love usually involves touching. So when you read the story of Jesus, you may notice Jesus would never gather before a crowd like this. People often, crowds would gather with their sick and with their lame and with their children who needed the touch of Jesus to be healed. Jesus never would gather a crowd and just pronounce healing over the whole crowd. As far as I know, that never happened. What did, they, what did he do? One by one, he touched them and he healed them. And sometimes he would have to leave the crowd, even though he wasn't done healing everyone because he was tired, because he was human. He was fully divine, but he was fully human. He could have spoken a pronouncement over the whole crowd, but he didn't. He wanted to heal people one by one, communicate love one by one. And as he did that, they were healed. They were made well. They were cleansed from their sickness, from their disease. Now, what's interesting to me is that we have some really, 
We have some really strange ideas about how clean and unclean work. Just think about it for a minute. If you go to lunch today and you order your burger and your french fries and you get your food and you notice that there is one hair in your french fries, what are you going to do? Send that back, right? (laughs) Because that one hair has now contaminated your entire plate of food. Somehow it has done that, right? And it disgusts you. Some of you right now, you're thinking about it and it just grosses you out, right? At the same time, if you were to drop an M&M on the floor and you really wanted to eat that floor, you would pick that up because according to the five-second rule, it is not unclean yet, right? I don't know how that works. Who knows the last time that floor has been cleaned, who, where, where people walked before they came in here, now they've walked in here. Who knows how filthy it is, but if it's within five seconds, it's okay, right? Parents, remember this? First child, baby has the passy, spits on the floor, that thing we take it to the bathroom, the, the kitchen, we wash it, we scrub it, we put it in the dishwasher, we boil it. It does not go back in our child's mouth until we know it is verifiably and unquestionably clean. Third child, Passy drops on the floor, pick it up, pick the dirt off, rub it on the shirt, back in the mouth, right? <laughs> I know that wasn't just me. <laughs> we have some really strange ideas about how clean and unclean work. I have to really give credit to Richard Beck and his book, Unclean, for this thought and this idea. If I were to give you this apple and say, hey, eat this apple, you would, you would, you would, you would eat it because it, it just it looks, it's nice, it's red, it's luscious, it's, it's ready to eat, right? But if before I give you this apple, I said, and I didn't get a real one because that would gross me out. If I were to say, hey, I'm going to let this roach crawl all over this apple, then I'm going to take him off and let you eat this apple, you, there's no way, Right? Even, even if after this roach walked all over this apple, some of you just for the picture of it wouldn't eat this apple now. <laughs> even if I were to take this apple and to wash it off in front of your eyes and clean it, you still wouldn't eat this apple. Because what is unclean has made what is clean unclean. And, and the problem is, is that this way of thinking permeates every part of my life and every part of your life. And some of you, and it breaks my heart this morning, some of you feel unclean because of something that you've done in your past or something that was done to you in your past you feel unclean and you believe that that is unreversible that it can't be changed you feel like this leper felt that because of your condition it cannot be reversed you there are some people who won't even come in to this church this morning because they feel unclean. They might if you invite them, but you may have to invite them 25 times because of something that you have no idea about. They feel, they feel that they are unclean, untouchable, unlovable, and that it is irreversible. And it breaks my heart. It breaks the heart of God. When this roach gets on this apple, none of, you, none of you for a moment thought that the cleanliness of this apple, the purity of this apple, could somehow make the roach clean. None of you thought that. I didn't think that. We had this idea that what is unclean always has the dominant power. What is unclean always has the upper hand. And what is unclean always makes what is clean unclean. And that it can't be changed. It can't be reversed. But Jesus changes everything. 
Jesus comes in front of this man with leprosy, this man who is unclean. And Jesus, who is clean, who is perfectly clean, who is without blemish. Jesus comes to this man and he touches him. And he makes what is unclean, clean. And I want you to hear this because some of you feel this way today. And if you're here today and you feel this way, I want you to know that Jesus wants to touch you too. And he wants you to be clean. And to know that you are clean. To know that you are forgiven. To know that you are changed. To know that you don't ever have to be the same again. To know that whatever happened is reversible, can be changed, can be made right, can be made new again. That's what Jesus does. And here's the beauty of it, church. Jesus doesn't want to just do this to you. Jesus wants to do this through you. If we are the body of Christ, and I believe we are. I know we're not perfect, but we are the body of Christ then we get to be the hands, the hands of Christ. And there are people, there are people sitting here today, there are people who you will see at lunch today, there are people you will see at work or at school this week, there are people who need, who need the touch of Jesus, and Jesus wants to touch them, and he, he wants to use you to do it. They need your embrace. They need you to take their hand. They need that pat on the back. They need someone to notice. They haven't been here for weeks. And they need someone to pick up the phone and call. They need to experience the power of the touch of Jesus Christ. And the way that's going to happen is through me and you. I know you probably think God's bonkers. This is his plan. It's us. We are his hands. And the power of touch has the power to change everything. Jesus wants, what if Jesus wants to still help and heal and cleanse people today, but he wants to touch them through us for us to be the hands of Jesus? I believe this is what we are called to be, that we are to be the hands of Jesus to bring hope and healing to those who are hurting and hopeless and in need. This is who we are, church. This is who we're called to be. And this week, I want to challenge you with one thing, with one idea. Do this. Even if this is not your, your love language, even if this is uncomfortable for you, reach out and take someone by the hand and communicate the love of Jesus. Because someone, someone needs to know that God loves them. And they need you to take them by the hand and not just tell them, but touch them and show them that they are loved. Church, would you stand with me? Here's how the story ends. Just real quick. Verse 16. Before Luke moves on to the next scene in the life of Jesus, he says this. Right after Jesus heals the leper, Jesus withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. If you're tracking the story... Jesus, who was clean, touched the leper who was unclean and made him clean. Tells the leper to go into town, a place he was formerly banished from, to go to the priest where, 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 who was at the center of worship where God was, 
to be declared as clean so he could return to worship with God and return to worship with people, to return to relationship with people. Before he was isolated and abandoned from worship and from community. Now because of what Jesus has done, he can return to worship and return to community. But Jesus, after this, goes outside the city. In a very literal way, Jesus trades places with this man makes me think of what Isaiah the prophet said hundreds of years before about Jesus. Isaiah 53, 4 says this, It was our weakness he, Jesus, carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. That word sorrows, literally in the original language, is sickness and diseases. It was our sicknesses and diseases that weighed him down. What if? What if when Jesus touched this man to make him clean, Jesus literally took his sickness upon himself? And Jesus literally had to go outside the city. Is that not what Jesus did on the cross? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake God made him, made Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So if for whatever reason this morning you feel unclean, You feel unworthy. You feel devalued. I want you to know that Jesus has taken whatever is unclean about you upon himself. He has traded places with you. And he went to the cross. He was held on the cross by by the hands of Roman soldiers. And literally, as they are touching him, holding him on the cross, they don't know this, but he is cleansing them. And so he wouldn't miss it. He even said it. Father, forgive them. And he forgives you today, too. That's what's so powerful about this water behind me. Today, if you've never, ever claimed Jesus as Lord and you want to, we would love to receive you and love to hear you say that because when you do that, when you step into these waters, what what really literally happens, we believe, according to Scripture, is that your sins are washed away because you trade places with Jesus. And he became sin who knew no sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. Sons and daughters of God. People touched by God. I'm going to invite our elders to make their way around the room. And this morning, if you need someone to put their hand on your shoulder or take you by the hand and pray with you, man, let these guys, let their wives, let them pray for you. I'm begging you. You got stuff going on, just let them offer a word. Let them pray for you. If you want to have your sins washed away, you can come and find one of them or find me or find any of us and express that same desire. And we would love to see Jesus touch you today and make you clean. This week, would you be the hands of Jesus? Would you touch someone? Would you, through the power of the Holy Spirit within you, communicate the love of God to those around you because of Jesus? Let's sing.